We're in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14, and we're also going to be going back to some verses that we didn't get covered last time we were together. Uh, so we're going to, I'm going to tell you now ahead of time, we're going to wrestle with some deep issues tonight. And I'm going to actually ask you a few questions and make you wrestle with it a little bit. Uh, hopefully we'll have an answer for you in each of these questions. But uh, we're in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Paul says, but when Cephas, which is Peter, by the way, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, this is the, the section we're going to cover. And like I said, in a little bit, after we're done wrestling with this section, we're going to go back and look at some verses in the previous section from where we were last time we were together. But, but I felt like God wants us to do it a little bit different tonight. I'm going to, from this section, instead of just teach on it, I'm going to ask you some questions that arise. Because this is a very interesting little segment of Scripture. I mean, think about what's going on here. Peter says, I'm sorry, Paul says, when, when Peter came to Antioch, I stood right up in front of everybody else and opposed him to his face. I publicly rebuked him because he was in the wrong. And then he talks about how P Peter, who had been eating with the Gentiles, when certain people of the circumcision party, when it says men from James, it means Christians from the Jerusalem church came down to Antioch. He pretended he didn't know the Gentiles or didn't acted like he at least didn't eat with the Gentiles. And in doing so, other Jewish Christians started doing the same thing. And even Barnabas was led astray and Barnabas did the same thing. And Paul said he was clearly in the wrong. He stood condemned. And he's and so the first question I want to ask you tonight is this. Why did Paul even record this event? Why not hide that this happened? I mean, this is a pretty serious uh, incident here. And most of us, if we're honest, if we were writing an account of our lives, we probably wouldn't put this in, would we? We would have kept it kind of quiet, you know? Uh, for example, if I were to ask you to tell me about your last family get-together at Thanksgiving or Christmas, you probably would tell me about the turkey and you would tell me about some of the presents, but you might not tell me everything that went on in interpersonal relationships in that time, would you? Because there's some stuff that probably happened that you're not real proud of. But why does Paul record this? Any ideas? Yes, ma'am. Partly to show us how to handle confrontation in the church. Well, and, and we can definitely learn from that. And maybe I would, I'm going to say yes, possibly. I don't know if we can definitely say that the reason he did is to show us how we can do it. We can definitely do that, partly. I'm not sure if that's his real intention, but we can definitely do that. But as you know, some instances we're not to do it publicly, others we are. So we have to kind of be careful and say this is how we're to always do it. What are some other reasons? He was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. <laughs> yeah, you hope. And yes, he was. You're going to see that he was. But at the same time, it doesn't say, led by the Spirit, I opposed him to his face. You know, let's be honest. When he and Barnabas had their uh, brouhaha in Acts chapter 15, uh, can we say he was led by the Spirit there? We don't know. You know, it sure looks like maybe not. You know, kind of a deal. So, or, and that's what I'm getting at. And maybe he was. That's the hard part for us is to say we know, you know. So what are some other ideas? Yes. Well, 
the truth of of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This yes. The, this is the center. This it works. It's the law. This is a gospel issue. That is the main reason why this is here. And look closely here at verse uh, 14. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Folks, the reason why this is recorded is this is a very serious issue that the church needs to understand. This is a gospel issue. This is not a disputable matter. You know, Romans 14, it says in Romans 14 that there'll be some people consider one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Some think eating vegetables is the only way to go. Others think that eating meat is okay. Each must fully be fully convinced in their own mind, according to Romans chapter 14, verse 7. And it even says in Romans chapter 14, verse 22, whatever you believe about these disputable matters, keep between yourself and God. I mean, let's be honest, we could all sit around for hours and have arguments over whether or not we should practice or celebrate Halloween or even fall festivals. And are we even giving, we have a lot of strong opinions over things like that, but they're not a gospel issue. And Paul says when the thing's not a gospel issue, you need to know what you believe according to your understanding of the word of God and the leadership of his spirit. And you need to keep that between yourself and God. But this is not a disputable matter. This was a gospel issue. Chris, go ahead. You're, yes, exactly. You're, that's one of the questions we're going to deal with in a second. How He knew better. Why did he do this? We'll get to that one in a little bit. Yeah, hang on. You'll see. We'll deal with that, that in a second. Go ahead. That's also, too, showing that even the elect can be pulled away. There's if, they're a, not, if they're not staying close to what they should be. You know what? We have a tendency, and I think you're right. We can definitely, these are some valuable things that we can pull out of it, for sure. And one of those is that the folks, we have a tendency to put a halo on Peter and Paul and all these kind of guys, but they're just as human as you and I. And and if Peter could be afraid and we'll get to that in a little bit, yeah, you and I are going to have, you know, fear of what other people are going to think at time or two. And we'll get to that. But look closely at what's going on here by not eating with the Gentiles because they weren't, quote unquote, circumcised Jews. At best, they were saying that the Gentiles were lesser Christians. At worst, they were saying that they weren't even really saved and therefore not their brothers. This is a serious issue, what was going on here, because they were putting conditions on salvation. They were putting conditions on salvation. You're in Galatians. Go to chapter 3 and look at verses 26, 27, and 28. Galatians 3 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, I've got to take a second here and clarify this passage, because there are those who try to take this passage of Scripture and make it say something that it doesn't say. For example, when Peter, this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, when Peter, who was a Jew, became a Christian, did he cease being a Jew? No. no. This passage isn't saying he was no longer a Jew. And those Gentiles, when they became Christians, did they cease being a Gentile? No. no. Those of you that were male when you got saved, did you cease being male? No. It's not saying that now there's, in God's eyes, there's no such thing as male and female. There's no, it's not saying that. 
It's saying, though, that when it comes to getting saved, Jew and Gentile are equal in the eyes of Christ because you've been both put on Christ. When male and female are in the eyes of God because you both put on Christ. Now, does that the Bible not say that there are different roles for men and roles for women? And, and, and yes, without question, you don't stop being male and female. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a role for men and role for women in his church and in, his, in, in the home and all that. But there are those people who will take this passage and say, look, in Christ, there's no male or female anymore. That means women can do the same thing as men. And no, 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 that's not what this passage is saying. But what it's saying is this, as some people like to put it, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's nobody that's above anybody else when it comes to being saved. There's an equality because are you saved by anything you do? Are you saved because you're a Jew or you're a Gentile? No, you're saved through faith alone, by grace alone. And that is the gospel. What was happening, though, was by doing what they were doing and not eating with them all of a sudden because they weren't circumcised Jews, they were either saying they were lesser Christians, which is wrong, or they were saying they weren't even Christians because they hadn't followed the proper steps. And they were adding something, and we've already looked at that earlier in our study of Galatians, that anything added to the gospel distorts the gospel and is no gospel at all. So why is this recorded? Because, folks, this is a very, very serious issue here. Now, we're not going to take the time to really go into it much, but we have to be real careful as well that we don't add anything. There are some denominations that say, well, you're not really saved until you've been baptized. Now, baptism, the Bible talks about, is a very important thing, is it not? Yes. The Bible is very clear on the importance of baptism. Yet there are denominations that will say that unless you've been baptized, you're not really saved. Oh, and then they try to, you know, if you say to them, what about the thief on the cross where Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. They say, oh, that was before Jesus died. Jesus hadn't died yet. And they come up with all these kind of hoops to jump through. And I remember talking with a man who grew up in that kind of a denomination and he was going to the church I was pastor of in Chicago. And he goes, I think you're right. But he goes, it's been so ingrained in me from childhood. He goes, I just still struggle. I said, so let me ask you a question. You, you trust Christ in a little church of your denomination when you're a kid and you know you've received Jesus as your Savior, or you're 50 years old and you trust Christ, but there's no baptistry in that little church, but there's a pond across the street, and you go from that building immediately to go be baptized, and you cross that street to go get baptized in that pond, and you're hit by a truck. Are you in heaven? He goes, I hope so. <laughs> Do you understand? I think you said, you said that it was ingrained in him from, from the other church, and it was hard for him to let go of it. Mm -hmm. It was the same with the Jews. It was ingrained in the and Jews in the same way. Oh, yes, we're going to go there. They didn't, the synagogue, it was, they affected how they're going to be viewed in the synagogue. And so, folks, let me just tell you, some of the stuff that you still hold on to, and we're not going to get into what those are. That's between you and the Lord. No, no, that's, that's, that, that's between you and the Lord, and He's going to, in His time, because there may be some things that God has opened my eyes to, but you're not there yet. And it would be wrong for me to say, you should be where I am. Do you understand? Or vice versa. And so in God's timing, He may walk you through freedom in some of these areas. But let me just tell you, in each of our lives, there might be some things we've held on to from a childhood that have been told us all along in the church. And it's so been in us. You know, how many of you had the hardest time if you grew up in a church where they always sang the doxology right after the offering? And then you went to a church and they didn't sing the doxology right after the offering. And you're like... Something's wrong. Something's wrong. You know what I'm saying? It's, it, so understand what's, what, what's going on here. But the issue is 
this is a serious gospel issue because they were distorting the gospel by saying you're not really saved or you're a lesser Christian. You can't go there, folks. That is very, very important. So that's the first thing we're going to do. Here's the next question. Why didn't Paul confront Peter privately? Yes. Go with me. Keep in mind the seriousness of this issue. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's a passage we looked at last time we were together. And I, and I went off on my uh, little soapbox about Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, but look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 again, verses 17 through 20. And we're going to look at the other verses that we didn't really pull out when I was talking about this last time we were together. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 20. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do, now he goes on and says, Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. This is actually talking about rebuking an elder. In the context, and look at how the Greek's worded, this is actually talking about rebuking an elder. If an elder sins publicly, he needs to de be dealt with publicly. And so Paul's actually following his own instructions here. And again, keep in mind, Peter not only had done this, he had done it so much that it affected all the other Jewish Christians and they were starting to do the same thing. And even to the point that Barnabas had been led astray. This, was, this had actually had a widespread effect. And so why was it done publicly? Because what he did was public. And it needed to be dealt with publicly. Now, yes ma'am. And, and the church is so slow at ever doing any of that any longer. Yeah, and you're, you are correct. The church is very slow today in dealing with sin. Some things need to not be dealt with publicly. Others must be dealt with publicly. But we're afraid to. And here's part of the reason why. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. It goes back to the whole moving away from elder leadership to congregational government. Nowadays, there's the attitude of, well, that's none of their business. We don't want our Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I've grown up in churches my whole life who have put lipstick on a pig, as they say, and they just pretend that it's all going to be OK and it's not dealt with. And the Bible is very clear about dealing with sin. Um, but we don't want to go there. We don't want to go there. So you're right. And if we never go there, if we never kept confess, we're not having the fellowship among each other as God wants us to have. Right. And I think that that's part of the, the the sadness of what's going on in the church today. We don't have that confession and fellowship with one another, so we're all kind, kind of well, it, it, I, and what you're and I agree. What you're saying is right. What we're doing though is it still ties back to our legalism. We we still kind of live under everybody's supposed to do the right thing all the time, and we all know we don't. So what do we do on Sunday instead of letting people know we still struggle with stuff? We put on our suit and our tie and our smile and we drive our fanciest car and we go to church and we smile and say, how are you doing? Fine. God's good all the time. All the time. God's good. We put on the facade and we never really get to know each other. That's why small groups are so valuable, because honestly, you'll never get to that biblical fellowship in, in the worship service time of the big group. That's why God wants you to get plugged into small groups, according to his word, because that's where it really happens. And that's where they're going to find out who you really are, the more you show up. I know of as a pastor over the years, people that would visit the church and never get plugged in to either Sunday school class or a small group or even join because they didn't want people to find out that actually that lady. I've been coming to church with every week is not my wife. 
Serious. Someone they've been living with, but they weren't married to, or actually was someone they shouldn't even have been going to church with, if you will, in that sense. Uh, but it was easy to go to church and put on the facade and appear to be. But if we'd say, hey, why don't we get you in a Sunday school class? Or why don't we get you in a small group? No, it's okay. We found out in time that they, there was stuff. So part of it is, though, because we have this mindset of legalism that everybody's supposed to be doing it perfect. And then we judge everybody whether or not they did it the way we think they ought to do it. But we all know in and of ourselves we struggle. I was reading a, a, a chapter in uh, Tozer's book just recently. Every now and then God just tells me to go back to the pursuit of God by Tozer. And uh, I haven't finished your book yet. I'm, I, I went back to pursuit of God for, for God's plan. He had me read chapter 9 on meekness. And he brought up a really cool point. He said that when we pray to God, we pray this way. Oh God, I'm nothing. Oh God, I'm but a worm. Oh, God, I am nothing without you. He said, yet we get, we get mad when anybody treats us like we're nothing. <laughs> How dare they treat me that way? How dare they slight me? How don't they know who I am? He goes, how ironic that when we talk to God, we say we're nothing. But if someone treats us like nothing, we get all uppity, you know, kind of a deal. All right. Here's our third question from this passage. And this is something that Chris brought out. And, and I'm going to take some time and read a long section of Scripture to you in answering this and, and showing you something here. And it's going to be pretty eye-opening for us. All right. Peter knew better. If there's anybody that knew better, it was Peter. Why did he do this? Now, we're not going to answer the question just yet. Don't answer that question just yet. Well, I want to lay some groundwork for you that maybe don't know the full depth of how much Peter should have known better. Go to Act, uh, Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read to you all the way through chapter 10 into chapter 11 to verse 18. And I want you to just kind of follow along and keep in mind, this is Peter now, the same one who was pretending he wasn't eating with the Gentiles when the circumcision party had come down from Jerusalem. But look at this story in Peter's life. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. By the way, this is a wonderful passage to show somebody that you can be devout, pray regularly, give money to the church, and still be lost. Because, as you're about to see, God says, you need to know about Jesus. All right? About the ninth hour, verse 3 of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius... And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. 
And while Peter was pondering this, the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Now the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Now, before we go any further, if you don't mind underlining or marking in your Bibles, mark what Peter just said. He just said, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. All right. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked you why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house about at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Boy, that would be a fun place to preach. Because they are ready to hear what God has to say. They ain't going to be like many churches I preach in where they sit with their arms crossed and say, you got 20 minutes, try and bless me. All right. This, this, is, this, is a cool, this is a cool setting. Listen to verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, look closely now, if you want to underline, underline this next section. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Did you catch that? I know now God shows no partiality. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as his witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who, is, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? By the way, did they receive it before they were baptized or after? 
Uh-huh, exactly. Don't add anything to the gospel. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by, from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent, which, in which we were sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to you Joppa, send, sorry, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it had us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. All right. Did Peter know better? Oh, yes. oh yeah. Keep going. We go to chapter 15. Go to chapter 15. Remember last time we got together and we, talked, we looked at the Jerusalem council. Look at chapter 15, verses 6 through 11. It says the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Remember, some people from the Jerusalem church had gone down to the Antioch church and said, unless they're circumcised, they can't be saved. Paul and Barnabas had an issue. They went up. We also know from Galatians that Paul was at the same time going to use this opportunity to double check his gospel and make sure that it was what he had heard from the Lord lined up with what they were preaching. And look at what it says. And so the, the apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Why, now why, therefore, are you putting... God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. In the Jerusalem council, he stood up and said, guys, you remember what happened and what happened to me and how God showed me. Guys, I think my judgment is we shouldn't add anything to this. They're saved. They don't need to be circumcised. So Peter knew better. I mean, if anybody knew better, Peter, of all people. By the way, we didn't even get into the fact, I didn't have time to take you back to Acts chapter 2, where Peter is preaching at Pentecost. And by the way, as they were all speaking in different languages, if you look, they were all being heard in Gentile languages. 
These Jewish men were there, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were preaching in other languages. And if you look back in Acts 2, it lists the languages, and these people from all these other nations were hearing them in Gentile languages. So while Peter's preaching under the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the people who are Gentiles are saying, we hear them in our language. So God's been showing this to Peter all along. So here's the question. If Peter knew better and should have known better, and he did, why did he act like this when these guys from the circumcision party came down to the church in Antioch? Fear, peer pressure, fear. Senior moment. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how old he was at the time, but yeah, we can say he pulled a duke, but I don't think that's going to work. But uh, here's the deal. It was simply fear. Go back to, Gala uh, to Galatians chapter 2. The answer is right here in our passage. It says in verse uh, 12, for before certain men, chapter 2, verse 12, before before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Yes, sir. Uh, and, you know, my Bible, I don't know if it's accurate or not, but it, it shows. Well, I know the Bible. The <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Go ahead. What do you, what do you say? Yeah, go ahead. It says that. The, the, the date of Acts was written in six, you know, 62 to 64 A.D., mm -hmm. and Galatians was written in 48. But that's, see, that's, that's not true. Well, I, yeah. where I was going with that mm -hmm. is if it was true, mm -hmm. the Galatians incident would have happened before Agreed. Acts it's it's not. No, if, if you remember last time we were together, we looked at how what he's talking about here in Acts 2, uh, sorry, in Galatians 2, is referencing Acts 15, which had happened long before. And so just because someone said this is when it was written, don't believe it. Look at a lot of them and you'll see that there are some that try to put the writing of the situation in Acts after. It's not. The Acts thing clearly, by most scholars, we understand, happened long before this was happening. So they're not, they're not flip-flopped. But that's a good question. I'm glad you're, because, but that's why we got to be real careful. Because, well, my, my, my study Bible says, the notes at the bottom say, folks, that's not inspired. That's just someone's take. That's somebody, well, I, I think this. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, just because so-and-so in my study Bible says it happened in those years, that doesn't mean it did. Make sure you know how to examine many things and do a lot of research, but I'm glad you brought that up because there'd probably be others who are wondering the same thing. So here's, the, here's what I want to talk about though for a second here along this line. We know we're not to fear man. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, the fear of man is a trap. All right, we know that. And some of us, have a little bit of a fear of what the unbeliever thinks. That's why we're afraid to share our faith sometimes, isn't it? When we go to tell someone about Jesus, here's, we're a little bit nervous about how they're going to view us, or we're going to see as a nut, or my neighbor's not going to want to talk to me anymore, or I'm going to be labeled as the, 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 the uh, company kook and all this kind of stuff. But I'm going to tell you something I think is stronger fear, and that's a fear of what your brothers and sisters in Christ or others in the religious background you come from might think. Those who are closer to you, I think we fear them more. Yeah, we all have somewhat of a fear of those who don't know us and don't know the Lord. But I have come to realize over the years that those who are closer to us, we fear what they think even more. And it's even more of a trap. I know of people that have grown up in, in, a, in a denomination that uh, they were baptized as a baby. But as you know, the Bible says baptism is supposed to happen after your profession of your faith. And they're afraid that mom will be upset if I follow what God says. And they don't follow in obedience to what God's word says because they're worried what mama might think or what their family might think. And you, I'm just going to warn you now, 
as you continue in this path of really knowing what the scripture says, moving into the grace of Jesus and the freedom we have in Christ, you're going to find people in your legalistic background type churches who are going to fight you. And you're going to be worried what they think. I don't know if I shared this with you a time or two or not, but I'm just going to fess up. As I preached the message that I preached this past Sunday at a church in Palm Bay at LifePoint on it's not your call. The whole message that you've heard me talk about how it's the Holy Spirit who determines the gifts. It's the Lord Jesus who determines where we're to use our gifts. And it's the Father who determines what the results are. A lot of people have never really heard where that message came from and how it came about. But a few months ago, I was on a Wednesday night playing golf at the Melbourne Golf Course. Actually, it was in the Wednesday afternoon. We started about two o'clock in the afternoon and I was meeting with a man who was feeling called into full time ministry. And he and I were playing golf to talk about this issue on a Wednesday afternoon. About five o'clock, we were still playing. We had a few holes left. We looked around, and we realized the course was pretty much empty. And I turned to him and I said, man, we got the course to ourselves." And he jokingly said, that's because it's Wednesday night and they're all at church. And then we laughed to ourselves and thought, wouldn't that be nice if everybody really were at a Wednesday night service somewhere? And then the same thought hit us both at the exact same time. Oh, it is Wednesday night. I hope no one sees our car in the parking lot. And God began to really speak to my heart at that moment there on the golf course. And he said, Jim, why are you worried about what other people will think? Are you doing what I've asked you to do? Yes. Are you doing what I've gifted you to do? Yes. Is this the work that I've called for you to do? Yes. But I was all of a sudden overcome with, I wish I hadn't parked my car by the street. Because I'm well-known former pastor in this area and it's Wednesday night. You're supposed to be at church supper and you're supposed to be at discipleship. And I was on the golf course. And God began to speak to my heart and began to have me start to wrestle with who determines what we do and how we do it and where we do it. Now, again, the Bible says warn those who are idle. I'm, I'm not talking about license, do whatever you want, ignore the Lord and all this kind of stuff. But much of what we do, we do because we're afraid someone else is saying you should have been there. And in Romans chapter 14, in the very end of the chapter, verses 22 and 23, it says anything not done by faith is what? It's sin. Listen closely. In other words, you're to do what you do according to what you believe God would have you do and the way God would have you do it. Amen. If you go to church visitation on Tuesday night because it is expected of you or the pastor said you should have been there or you're afraid your friend from your small group might say you should have been at Tuesday night visitation and you show up for those reasons, you sin by going to visitation. I just want to tell you, yes, we do fear what the unbeliever think of us. But I'm going to tell you a stronger fear is what those who are closer to you think. We do a lot or don't do a lot of what God would have us do because of fear of what other people might think. And tell me the church hasn't gotten real good at being the judge of how you're supposed to dress, what translation you're supposed to use, what kind of music you're supposed to be listening to, what kind of movies you should or shouldn't see. Now, believe me, the Bible says we need to each believe why we believe what we believe about these issues. And you need to be doing it according to what you think God's word says. And but you've got to keep those things between you and God. But we've grown up all our lives having to hide. I remember as a kid, we were taught that I had a grandmother that believed that playing cards was a sin. It was tied to something with, you know, the queen is Mary and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I remember as a kid, we used to play cards all the time. 
But whenever we would drive from my house in New Hampshire to my grandmother's in Massachusetts, my dad would have to remind us, we don't mention the playing of the cards when you go see Grammy. I'm just going to tell you. Remember, our purpose for going through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians is to really look at what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to walk in the freedom we have in Christ? Without using our freedom as a license to sin, Paul's going to deal with that in his book, we'll get there. Without using our freedom as a license to sin, what does it really mean to be free in Christ to follow his plan for our life? And you're going to find that a lot of the stuff that we've grown up in, if you've grown up in the church, has been just keeping you under a group of rules and legalism, and I want you to be set free. Hey, I want to be set free free too. I want to be able to park my car on the side of the, on the, on 192 if I play golf on a Wednesday night, if I'm doing, if I'm supposed to play golf on Wednesday night, according to God's plan for my life. Do you understand? Here was Peter. Peter of all people who knew better, but he was afraid. He was afraid of what the other people would think. There's a passage, we're not going to take the time to turn there because we've got to keep moving, but there's a passage in Luke, uh, sorry, John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, that said there were people among the Pharisees who believed in Jesus when he was there on the earth. They believed in him, but they were afraid to confess that they did for fear that they'd be thrown out of the synagogue. Oh, by the way, did they get saved? Well, we don't know ultimately, but at that moment, if they're afraid to confess... The Bible says, if you're afraid to confess me before, my before men, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. They believed that he was the one, but they were more concerned about what other people might think. And they didn't confess their faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible's pretty clear in that passage. At that moment, they hadn't been saved. Folks, we've got to make sure that it's not fear that makes us do what we do. And I'll say one last thing along that line. Years ago, uh, I was being interviewed by a church and the search committee really believed that I was the one that God had chosen to be their next pastor. But there were some individuals in that church who were starting rumors because word had gotten out that possibly Jim Johnson was the one that the search committee was going to bring back as the candidate for the pastor. And some of the people that didn't want Jim Johnson to be the pastor started spreading rumors that this committee is unspiritual. They have been put together just to go get Jim Johnson. So if they go and bring back with the name Jim Johnson, that proves that they were unspiritual and they were just put together to go get him. That's what the rumor was starting to be spread. And as I had been meeting over, over time, across state lines with this committee over months and almost a year, on the night that we had come to the agreement that I was the one God had chosen, they were going to present me, they began to wrestle with how do we present that you're the one. And they were worried about how it would look because they didn't want to look unspiritual, but they were sure that I was the one God chose. And this wonderful lady said, guys, why are we afraid to do this? Why are we afraid to just say this is the one God's chosen? It's fear. And then she said this, who deals with fear? The enemy. Let's do the exact thing we're afraid to do because God never will use fear to stop us. God's spirit will say, no, he, fear is the enemy. Let's do what he said. And I've come to realize over my life that when I'm afraid to do something, 99% of the time, that's exactly what God wants me to do. Because Satan will come in and try to stop me from doing it for fear. So be ready for the fact that as you continue to grow in grace, there will be brothers and sisters, people in your Christian family, even in your immediate family, who you may have to deal with the fear of their reaction. Are you willing to live the life that God has for you to live? live? All right. Now, there's one more last thing, and then we're going to go to that section that we have left over from last, last time we were together. I want to deal with, because this has never really been dealt with much, and I had to wrestle with it myself, 
What is the fuller meaning of what Paul says to Peter in verse 14? I mean, look at what he says here in, in verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if though, if sorry, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, was Peter saying that these guys had to be circumcised? No, that's not what he was doing. He was just acting like they were a lesser Christian, you know. He wasn't saying they had to be circumcised. That's not what Peter, Peter knew full well that much for sure. But he was afraid what the other people would think and so he was disassociating himself. What Paul's really speaking about here is equality of fellowship. Let me clarify what I mean by this. See, again, Peter was not forcing the Gentile brothers to be circumcised. He was just breaking fellowship with them when the quote-unquote circumcision party was around. In other words, Peter was free to be a Jew and live like the Gentiles and eat with the Gentiles. But the Gentiles had to become Jewish in order to have fellowship with the Jews. Do you understand what's going on? See, because he's a Jew. It's a double standard. He's a Jew. And when the circumcision party wasn't around, he acted like a Gentile. But when the circumcision party was around, the Gentiles weren't allowed to have relationship or fellowship with the Jews because they weren't approved. It's a double standard. It's a hypocrite. And that's what they were actually says here. They were acting very hypocritically in the passage that talks about that. So he was propagating, propagating an attitude of split level churches. Now, the issue of equality of fellowship, the early church had a problem with this in other ways. Well, good for you. Go to James chapter two, verses one through nine. Yes, right. Susan. Wow. It is James chapter two. James chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 9. James did talk about this. There was an issue, not just between Jew and Gentile, but also between the rich and the poor. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold, to the, hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sins and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Again, the issue that he's saying here, why you know you're a Jew and you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He's saying you've got a double standard here. It's hypocrisy. There's a you're showing partiality here. If you're free to be a Jew and live like a Gentile, why can't the Gentiles be free to hang out with the Jews? Oh, and love is definitely a big part of it as well. But folks, remember how we talked about this over and over? Your flesh wasn't saved when you got saved, was it? And your flesh is still going to want things to go how you want. And we all have opinions. Let's be honest. You know, I was a pastor for 20 years 
And if people visited our church on a Sunday and I'd never seen them before, there were certain families that looked like they'd be better members than others. There are certain families that look like they might be able to bring certain things and other families that might look they might be a drain. And as a pastor, we all have to deal with those types of things. And you have to check your motives. And why did I go to this house first and not that house? You know, why did I take this person to go visit and I gave these people to the associate pastor? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and we all have that. And so just keep that in mind that that's going to be something. Are your motives pure in what you're doing? Are you showing partiality? Are you showing favoritism? It isn't a Jew Gentile thing maybe for us as much, but it may be a rich or poor thing for us. And we got to be real careful about that. All right. Now, here's the other issue we got to deal with in the time we got left tonight. And it goes back to where we were in Galatians chapter two, verses one through five. Let's go back to Galatians two, verses one through five. It says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, by the way, I'm going to skip that whole paraphrase section and I'll come back to it in a second here. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, to them we did, verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. You see in some of your Bibles, you might have parentheses or you might have a line on each end. It helps you break it down because Paul has a tendency sometimes to, to be saying something, then he'll have another thought that kind of ties to it in the middle, and then he gets back to his original thought, and that makes it a little hard to read. If you read it straight, it reads this way, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So he makes a statement here. He said, when I went up there to the Jerusalem council, and I met with them about this circumcision issue, I was double checking to make sure that I hadn't been preaching a message that was a false message. But what I had heard from the Lord was actually the true gospel that they had been preaching. I brought Titus with me and they didn't even say that Titus had to be circumcised. In other words, he was his test case, if you will. And they said Titus didn't have to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. He was a believer in Jesus and he was saved, didn't need to be circumcised. All right. We, you good so far? He's, and then I love how he even put it in, in verse five. Look at verse five again. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. Remember, go back to verse 14 of chapter two. But when I saw that the, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Remember, this is a gospel issue that he was dealing with. So he said, I fought for the truth of the gospel. All right. Keep that in mind. Titus wasn't circumcised. Go with me to Acts chapter 16. And I'm going to throw you a curveball just for the fun of it. I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. 
So Paul's now going on a missionary journey to the churches in these areas, and he's sharing with them the decision from the Jerusalem Council, which we just read about in Acts 15, and he's letting them know what the decision was of how they don't have to be circumcised, that it's by faith alone, Gentiles can be saved just like the Jews. Yet, because Timothy's mother was a Jew, but his father was a Greek, and he hadn't been circumcised, he had Timothy circumcised so that he would go with him. This is the same Paul that's taking Timothy with him to share the message of the Jerusalem Council that they don't need to be circumcised. Why does Paul, who's just said Titus didn't have to be circumcised, say, well, we've got to circumcise Timothy? Because God told him to? Chicken answer. Chicken answer. Go ahead. It has well, not no. That's that's not that's not what it is. I'm sorry. A wall between him and who? The Jews. Which Jews? The believing Jews or the unbelieving Jews? It's the unbelieving Jews. Exactly. The situation actually is different here. This is not a gospel issue. The reason why Timothy is being circumcised is not so that he can go and hang out with the Jews in the churches. He's so that Paul is going not only to share the message with the churches, but he's also going to preach the gospel. And he knows there are Jews in those areas that he wants to come to know Jesus. And so that he won't be an offense to those people so that they will listen. Well, let me put it in Paul's own words. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He didn't want to be a stump. Well, actually, a stumbling block applies more to Christians, but it may it, it could apply to an unbeliever as well. Well, it, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. Look at how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. Paul says, For though I am free, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you see what's going on here? This isn't a gospel issue. This is an issue of Paul knew that by taking Timothy with him, whom he knew the Jews knew his father was a Greek, he wanted to be able to be heard in those synagogues. And he wasn't going to be bringing an uncircumcised guy into the synagogues. They would have not let him in. And he said, you know what? You know and I know, Timothy, this doesn't mean you're saved or not saved, you're free. But so in order that they may hear the message, let's not worry about this. Let's just get you circumcised. Folks, I do that everywhere I go. I ask churches when I go to speak, what does the pastor typically wear on Sunday? And what translation do you all use? Or are you okay with this translation or that translation? Now, am I free to dress however I feel comfortable? Yes, I am. I'm not under law and I'm under freedom, but I also I submit myself to them sometimes so that they will hear the message. 
I want the churches where I go speak to hear the word of God. And many of these churches are dead. Many of these churches don't know God. Many of these leadership need to be saved. Many of these churches aren't even know what, even though they are saved, don't know what I mean to follow his spirit or follow. I don't want them missing what I have to say or what God wants to say through me because I'm not wearing a tie. I hate wearing ties. I don't like having to wear a suit when I preach. I used to do it all the time, but I also had a fear of man. Now I'm getting to be me again and wear my sandals. And, and at the same time, folks, listen to me. I many times will wear what they tell me to wear. And I will use what translation they tell me to use. You have shoes? I have shoes. <laughs> I actually have shoes. I have one pair. And uh, one black, one brown. But do you see what? That's what your pink Crocs. <laughs> besides, besides the pink Crocs. Here's the thing. Paul had Timothy circumcised because of that. So that when he went to share the gospel in these places, the Jews who knew that his father was a Greek wouldn't keep him out of the synagogue. Was he having Timothy circumcised because he might not be saved if he wasn't? No, that's not it at all. He'd already had the Jerusalem Council. And in that situation, he had brought Titus and they didn't make Titus get circumcised. But in this trip, because he was also going to, while going to the churches, run into Jews that he wanted to come to know him. He just said, for the sake of the gospel being shared, Timothy, let's get you circumcised. That'll just save us a whole lot of headache. Yes, sir. <laughs> but Timothy wish he'd been taking Galatians. Yeah. I wonder if he knew before he said, sure, I'll go. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a real good question. Now, did he know what he had just signed up for by saying, I'll go with you on, the, on this mission trip? Yeah. Folks, I'm going to wrap up by just simply saying this. Yeah, it is definitely worse than getting immunizations for a mission trip. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. And we thought the hepatitis A shot was bad. All right. Listen, folks, listen closely to what I'm saying here. There are, we may disagree on some things when it comes to movies, worship styles, and other disputable matters as referenced in Romans 14. But these issues must never, ever, ever be tied to salvation. Amen. We've got to allow the gospel and the truth of the gospel to stay very simple and clear. People are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and nothing else. Is baptism important? Yes. But should we fight with each other over it? No, we shouldn't make it a gospel issue. Does mode of baptism mean something to us individually? Yes. And you got to believe what you believe. And you got to be strong on why you believe what you believe on mode of baptism. But we shouldn't be going and trying to make somebody else believe your mode of baptism. You understand? Each should be fully convinced in their own mind. And whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Because guess what? If it's not a gospel issue, it's a disputable matter. And if it's not something the Bible clearly says is sin, then it's a disputable matter. And the church, unfortunately, over the years has spent too much time setting ourselves up into our camps over these disputable matters and breaking fellowship with each other over these disputable matters. And unfortunately, some of us have even brought it to making them become gospel issues. And you know what the Bible says about those who add? Amen. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So let's make sure that the gospel is simply this. You are saved only through Jesus Christ by his grace through your faith in him. And that's all it takes to be saved. Oh, I, you want to ask me about where I stand on certain things about women's role in ministry and baptism and, and all this kind of stuff. I, I'd love to talk with you if you ask me, but it's, that's, not the, that's not a gospel issue. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, 
And you put your full faith in the fact that he is the only one and he's the only way and he was born of a virgin. And these things that the Bible says are the non-negotiables. You're saved. Amen. Well, let's not make the other stuff tied to that. And in the other areas where we disagree, why don't we believe that God's able to get his children where he wants them to be when it comes to those issues? Let me pray for us. Father, you know, at first, when we read that section about Paul rebuking Peter, many of us probably as well have just thought, wow, that was, that was kind of in front of everybody and shouldn't have been done privately. But now when we take the time to let your word speak, we realize the seriousness of it. And Lord, in a weird way, we're probably comforted by it. Because if Peter, who knew better, would fall prey to fear, Maybe we won't beat ourselves up as much when we do. Lord, keep doing what you're doing in us and bringing us into that relationship of closer fellowship through grace. Lord, make us into men and women as we grow in our understanding of you who are more fun to be around, who are at peace with the fact that you're a big God and you're going to get people where they belong. We stand firm on the things that the Bible says are not to be messed with, yet on the things that your word says. Someone might see it this way, some might see it that way. May we be strong in what we believe and why. Yet may we not think that it's our job to get everybody to see it the way we do. May we trust that you're able, well, as your word says, who are we to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Amen. May we trust that you're big enough as you've been getting us where you have us over the years that you'll get them where you need them to be as well. Oh, Lord, forgive us for judging each other over music styles. Forgive us for judging each other over how they dress. Forgive us for judging each other over how long is a service or whether or not they had a Sunday night service or whether they should have had a Wednesday night supper or whether or not the choir show wore robes. Father, forgive us. We've spent so much time thinking we're righteous by making judgments about other things and other people when that's your call in their lives. Lord, May we become more and more conformed into your image to the point that even people that we might not fully agree with feel comfortable in our presence because they know we love them. Oh, Lord, you never approved of the prostitutes and the sinners' behavior, yet they felt comfortable in your presence. And the Zacchaeuses would come out of encounters with you, desiring to get their lives right. You would tell the woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. But you loved her. And you didn't condemn her. Father, over the years, the church has been known as a place of condemnation. Lord, even if it just happens in our house, may that grace, that freedom, the power of your spirit alone to change lives, and the power of your word truly taught, not with man's way of twisting it and trying to add some guilt to it to get it to work because it's not powerful enough by itself. May the way in which you've designed your word to be taught be what is used to help us get individually and corporately to where you want us to be. And Father, as we prayed at the beginning of our time today, as we go home now to see which way you've already decided that our nation's going to go in leadership, may we sleep well either way because we know that you've got it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.